0: So in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus entered time and space in which Paul and others led the church, the prevailing thought was that if you want to find true life, you need to focus on individual fulfillment. You want to find peace. You want to find joy. You want to find contentment. The focus on life is not other people, but it is on the self. And it's up to you to find the good life. Fast forward over 2,000 years later, here we are, and that has been part of our culture and our history, is this focus on the individual. And it's true that God loves you individually, and that you do have a personal relationship with God, but what Paul shows us and what Scripture tells us over and over again is that we were never created to live on our own, that our faith is never individualized. It is always lived out within the context of The group of people of the body of Christ. And so we need the gospel to breathe new life into this conversation about human relationships and about human flourishing. The gospel changes our thinking. It changes our focus. It's a new way of relating to other people. It puts us within this community, this body, where we live out the life that God has created us to live. So there's a number of different metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about our community life, our life together. And one of the predominant ones in the New Testament is the idea of the body. And it's a helpful metaphor because as you know with your own body, when a part of your body is not functioning the way it was supposed to, maybe it's temporarily not working for say six weeks plus, you suddenly realize, I had no idea how many tasks that I did that had the benefit of using both hands and both arms. No idea. I mean, pretty much everything that I do. So I had to try to relearn new patterns. And there were things that I could not do. Went to a work conference a few weeks ago, and my brother Grant had to tie my shoes every morning. You know, that's humbling, and I'm grateful. And he's good at it. (laughs) The body, we all have different gifts, and we need each part of the body working together as healthy as possible to live out this new way of existence. And in a way, the, the church is a kind of microcosm. It, it's, it's like going to the gym. It's the place where we work our muscles, where we train, where we learn how to live in community with other people. It should be a safe place where we have a common goal, and that is learning how to be the people that God's created us to be. And then the things that we learn and we practice together, then those overflow from our lives into the lives of other people. That's how God's created this to work. And so we've got to work out some things among each other so that we can learn how to be God's examples to the world. So there's several ways in Romans 12 that the gospel uh, shapes the nature and character of the body of Christ. The first one, I'm actually going back into verses 1 and 2, but I'm going to tie it into the flow of thought here. So I'm going to talk about it a little differently than last week. So Paul begins and he says, in response to the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, we are now to live our lives in response to this as a sacrifice of worship. The mercy of God is what fuels the people of God to become this new community. We are a people who are marked by the grace of God. That's what drives us. Not fear, not doubt. We're driven by the grace of God. And this creates in us an essential unity that cannot be taken away. What unites the people of God is not the kind of music that we have or the particular order of service or liturgy that we have. What unites us truly as the people of God, first and foremost, is the gospel. This truth that we cling to and this hope that we long for, that, that gives us a unity It draws us together, all kinds of people, unlike anything else in the world. We are a unified people. So what forms the unique Christian community is the gospel itself. So what kind of community are we? Well, we are a people who are together trying to live out this way of faith. Let's think about what this does for us, this unity it really changes us. We, all, we often think about our faith within individual context. We think, how do, how do I live this out as, as an individual? But it changes our relationship. So if, if everybody in the room, we're no longer trying to figure out our own agenda or make our own way, if all of us are trying to do what Romans 12 tells us, trying to lay down our lives as a sacrifice of worship in response to what Jesus has done for us, we're going to try to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. We're going to try to think differently and discern the will of God and live in that way. That changes the conversation. That changes committee meetings. Right now, it's not just me coming with my agenda and you with yours and trying to figure out who has the best idea and competing for that. We're assuming that everyone coming to the table has the same agenda, and that is, we want to discern what God's will is and do what's best. Now, that doesn't mean we always come to the same conclusions, but at least we know that our goal is the same, not my will, but his will. And so even when we disagree about how to live that out, there's a grace that comes from knowing, hey, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to pursue the same goal of laying down our lives, of seeking the will of God, and of serving others. That is our common goal. That brings a unity that is incredible. It's different. And so how do we get to this unity? Well, the path to unity always comes through humility and service. And that's where Paul goes next. And starting in verse 3 with what we've read this morning, this unity then leads to a humility. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So when we're thinking rightly about the gospel and we see it clearly, it should produce in us a humility. A humility that we come to the table. A humility that we carry into our workplaces. A humility in our homes. Because we know that we're not saved by grace. Or that we are saved by grace and we're not saved by works. And so we have nothing to brag about. You can't brag about how saved you are. Man, I'm just so saved. Like, yes, we cooperate, we surrender to that, but it's God's work. So the gospel levels the playing field. Now, instead of having you know, some people who tend to you know, be important and like to come up with the ideas and having other people who shrink away, the gospel levels the playing field in our relationships and we all come to the table. And we're all seeking to serve Christ together. It unifies us. It humbles us, or it should. But in verse 3, it's interesting. Paul doesn't specifically say, be humble. He doesn't use that word. But it's understood as his statement, think of yourself With sober judgment. What does that mean? Well, what's the opposite of being sober? Being drunk, right? And when you're drunk, you do not see clearly. You do not think correctly. You make bad decisions. So, Paul says, Look, when you think about yourself, don't be drunk. Don't be a fool. Think with sober clarity. In other words, think rightly about yourself. And the problem for many of us is that we think too highly of ourselves. There's also a a lot of misunderstanding about humility, because humility doesn't mean that you think too lowly of yourself. It's not about self-loathing. You see, there's a false humility that can come by people who cannot accept praise, cannot accept encouragement, who are always putting themselves down, and who think too lowly of themselves. That's false humility. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying... Think rightly about who you are, not too high, not too low. You need to recognize that you are a sinner. Don't think too highly of yourself. But you're also a sinner that's saved by grace. You're a child of God, what we've just sung about this morning. You are valued and you are loved. You are called by God. You are gifted. We're going to get to that in just a minute. God has given you gifts and he has specific work for you to do, so don't you dare think too lowly about yourself either. Don't think too high or too low. So a couple of years ago, I was teaching on this topic in another part of the Bible. Uh, if you were here, you may remember this. It's always the weird things that people remember. And I used this analogy of marshmallows. Now, I had three different sizes. There was a really itty-bitty tiny marshmallow, you know those little mini ones? And then there was the kind of medium size that most people use for s'mores, just our average size. And then I had the jumbo, like super puff marshmallows, and I said, don't be a puffed-up marshmallow, but don't be an itty-bitty tiny one. Just recognize, think rightly about yourself. It's somewhere in the middle. So here's the deal. I like that analogy, but I've, I've come up with a different one and get involved teaching you how to order at Starbucks. So I drink Starbucks, and if some of you do, some of you judge me for that, whatever. So here's the deal. When you go to Starbucks, it's very simple. To know how to order, you just have to speak Italian. That's all. It's no big deal. <laughs> So we have starting, these are actually all sizes available. You have the little tiny one that's for like the, the shots of espresso or whatever. And then you have the short one, which is like the kitty cup for hot chocolate. And I know some of you, you order in the kitty size. You're like the one that always wears the kids meals. I, I know who you are. It's okay. And then you get to kind of the more normal sizes that we're familiar with. So if you have trouble ordering at Starbucks, don't worry, you're not alone. Uh, but if you don't get this right, they're going to roll their eyes at you. So d- you're welcome. So the, so the small, the normal small is called a tall, right? Because that makes sense. Small is a tall. There you go. So the next size up is a grande. And the word grande in many languages, including Italian, means large. But here's the thing, a grande is not a large, it's a medium. Obviously, that makes sense. So then we switch to numbers because it's like really confusing at that point. So the venti means 20 and it's 20 ounces. And the trenta is 30 ounces of coffee. If you drink a 30 ounce coffee, you're going to be like one of those overly caffeinated coffee house employees. You know what I'm talking about. They're just a lot like a lot of what? A lot of everything. They're just love and life and intense. But on the other hand, if you're someone like me that actually needs coffee to be alive and a decent human being, if you order like a little kitty cup size of coffee, that's not going to get you very far. So on the one hand, you can be a Trenta coffee and think way too highly of yourself and be really obnoxious. On the other hand, you can think too lowly of yourself and underserve yourself. So what I'm saying here is I want you to be a grande, which is not large, is medium, a grande coffee for the glory of God. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Think rightly about yourself, Don't think too highly, but don't think too lowly either. Have a sober judgment. Recognize that you're a sinner. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to operate out of misinformation. You're going to misspeak. You're going to make bad decisions. You are a sinner, but you're also saved by grace. And you're gifted and called. So don't think too lowly either. And I'm not talking about be average. That's not what I'm saying. Following Jesus is not average but you want to to hit that right spot there in the middle when you think about yourself because that'll create the environment for us to work together for the glory of God, and that's how God designed it. So we have the unity of the body, and we have the humility. If we're unified and we're humble, we don't never do all those things correctly, but that's the goal we're shooting for. The third piece we see in the body is the incredible diversity of the body. In verses 4 and 6, He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So we're talking about the diversity of the body. We know that there is ethnic diversity within the body. Paul talks about that. Other places here, he's talking particularly about giftedness. And he says within the body, you have all different kinds of people with different experiences that are brought together to serve God in a unique way. And the church needs lots of different type of people with different gifts and strengths. Tim Keller writes this in Romans for you. He says, we've each been given distinct personalities, temperaments, histories, and abilities that equip us for a particular set of good works that God has created us to do. That's the beautiful expression of the body. He's brought us together to work together as a team to accomplish things that we never could have accomplished on our own, and we certainly cannot do without his grace. And so he goes on from here to talk about spiritual gifts. So I want to offer a definition of spiritual gifts. It's not the only definition, but it's how I'm thinking about it right now. So a spiritual gift is the spirit-empowered ability to do good work that builds up Christ's body and fulfills Christ's mission. Each of us in Christ is given gifts, I believe, multiple gifts to be used by God for his glory and to be used by him to build up the body internally, but also to go out and to share this good news with the world. That's why he's given us spiritual gifts, not to brag about, not so that we can put them on a platform and celebrate them for ourselves. He gives us gifts to use them to edify the body, to encourage others, to build others up, to serve others. In the various ways and meet the needs that are there. So we get a number of different places in the New Testament where different sets of gifts are listed. Here in this passage, starting in verse 6, we get one of those sets. There's a couple of other places in, in 1 Corinthians and also 1 Peter where we get other lists sets. And together they give us kind of a picture of different kinds of gifts. Now, when Paul writes lists, whether they're vice lists or virtue lists or gift lists, they're never designed to be comprehensive, I don't believe. I think they're there to be representative, to show the different kinds of things that we're talking about. But with the various lists that we get in the New Testament, uh, somewhere probably around 20 or so, um, it's helpful to get a big-picture idea. And I've organized them into four different categories just to make it more manageable. Again, it's not the only way to think about them, but I think we can think in terms of speaking gifts, shepherding gifts, serving gifts, and sign gifts. Okay. So examples of speaking gifts would include prophecy, teaching, exhortation, and knowledge. Examples of shepherding gifts would be administration, leadership, and wisdom. Serving gifts would include giving, mercy, hospitality, and serving. And then finally, we have the sign gifts, which could include healing and miracles and tongues. That is, those are designed to be signs to point to the power of God and the in-breaking kingdom into this world. So when we think about these gifts, we see that there are lots of different kinds of gifts, and we need lots of different types of people. And we understand this at a practical level. So first, the sports analogy. Okay, I'll pick basketball, In basketball, you have different roles that people play. You have guards who are generally fast. They're good at distributing the ball. They're often good at shooting from further out, and they play an important role. Then you have big guys that are good at at boxing out and rebounding and blocking and working down low. You have role players that kind of do a little bit of everything. You have defensive specialists. You need all of these players on the team to have an effective team. But it works that way with committee work or teams that you've been a part of. You need people on your team that are big idea people who think outside the box and have ideas that no one would else, else would think about. You also need people on your team who look at those people and go, yeah, but how are we going to actually do that? You need implementers. You need detail folks who think through those. You need people who are good at recruiting others to help be involved in the work. Cheerleaders, right, who are encouraging the team. When you get discouraged, you run into roadblocks. You need all different kinds of people working together. So I want to point out a couple of things about spiritual gifts and how we use them in the church. The first one is is from the text here. When Paul says... These gifts. He says, I want you to use them not just with faithfulness, but with passion and intensity. You notice the language there? It's kind of awkward. He says, Look, if your gift is teaching, then teach. If it's giving, give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. In other words, he's saying, Look, don't just use your gifts, but use them with passion. Use them well. Work at them. Look, if we're going to do something, let's do it. Let's go, church. Don't just you know, halfway do this. Let's serve. If your gift is, is, is ministering to children, give it all you got. Prepare. Bring your energy. Love those kids well. If it's greeting people at the door, drink a Trenta coffee on the way and greet like crazy. I mean, serve and serve well. Don't just serve with faithfulness. Do it with energy and with enthusiasm and with passion. Give it all you have couple other comments on spiritual gifts. Uh, I want to point out that when you look at the gifts, the spiritual gifts in the Bible, some of them are particular gifts, but they're also things that all Christians are called to do. So take, for example, mercy. There is a particular gift of mercy. Some people are especially merciful, and that, that plays itself out in a number of ways. But I can't say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy, so I don't have to be merciful. No, That's also generally a Christian virtue. So it's something that we all work at, but some people are particularly gifted in. So one gift is mentioned as giving. Well, we can't say, well, that's not my gift. I don't have to give. No, we're all called to give as the Lord has given to us. But some people just have a gift. They just have this way where they're just always giving things away, and there's just a a special calling they have to be a giver, whether it be financially or with their time or their energy. Evangelism is a spiritual gift. And some people are just super effective at sharing the gospel, but I can't, none of us can say, well, I'm not called to evangelism. That's not my gift. I score low on that, so I don't have to do it. We all have a general calling to do that. So as we think about the gifts, let's understand that it's not about just finding two or three that, that we're good at and then saying the other ones we don't have to do. It's, it's helpful to focus and to know how God has wired us and to leverage that for his glory. But I also tend to think that any of the gifts, God can enable any of us to use them at any time in any place for his glory. And I believe he does that. I believe sometimes he gifts us to do things that we could call spiritual gifts, and they're not within our normal skill set. They're not in our comfort zone, but he enables us to do them at particular points or particular seasons in our life because that's what he has for us. And I see that on mission trips all the time. There's something special about setting aside time and money and resources and going, and people will come back from mission trips, and they're just amazed. They say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I gave my testimony through a translator to a hundred people. I would have never done that. But God enabled me to do that in that time. And he may not be preparing you to speak regularly to hundreds of people, but he might be preparing you for a moment. And so as it comes to spiritual gifts, I think it's important that we understand our sweet spot, that we understand a few things in few ways that God has equipped us and enabled us, but we should have an openness to be used by God in other ways. I also think across this season of our life, God changes what we can be called to and how he equips us. One of the reasons he does that is because he moves people to different places and sometimes he gives them a new assignment because there's a different need. So you may say, well, we used to be at this church and we did this, but now it seems like there's this new need. So I think that God can enable you and gift you in a spirit-empowered way to step into a new gift, a new way of serving, because it's what he wants for you right now in this season, because that's where the need is. And I think we should maintain an openness. I think our life circumstances change. Our experiences change. Sometimes we go through something that enables us to minister in a different way and to different people. So we never want it to be a set it and forget it kind of thing. So I want to give you just a few steps of of how to go through this process. I know some of you probably have done spiritual gift tests in the past. Maybe you've discerned that. Maybe you have a sense of what those are. But I think it's an ongoing process, so it might be good to go back and to refresh yourself. So the first step really is is just a prayer-saturated reflection. It's praying and asking God, what would you have me do right now? How would you have me serve you and leverage who I am and what you've given me for your glory in this season of life, in this place, in the context, in the relationships that you've given me right now, to pray and ask God, would you reveal that to me? Would you show me that? And then secondly, I think it's helpful to have a prayerful approach to studying some of these passages, to going back. And and for those of you that are note-takers, it's 1 Corinthians 12, it's Ephesians 4, and Romans 12. Those are the three primary passages in the New Testament that talk about the spiritual gifts. And there are these spiritual gifts that have been developed. I don't know if you've had a good experience or bad experience. I think they're a helpful tool. Again, not to put us in a box, but it can be good if you've never taken one. Maybe it's been years since you have. We have one of them that is, is permanently on our website. It's under our resources section. It's going under there in a spiritual gifts test. It was developed by the, the journey ministry that, that uh, some of our guys groups go through. But I think it's a good one. It's helpful to go through those every now and then. And just, it's a tool to help you discern with prayer how God has wired you. And finally, you just got to get out there and start serving. You got to try things. Maybe try new things. Maybe you'll find there's something you never would have thought about that you'll find incredible joy in as you serve the Lord doing it. And as you serve, reflect. Commit to a season. And then ask God, God, is this, is this what you'd have me continue to get feedback from other people, listen to them. God will use other people to affirm things or sometimes to nudge you and push you in a different direction and listen to that because that's part of how God works within the context of the body. So we've covered a lot of ground this morning. Let me just kind of bring us full circle here. In Romans 12, as we're talking about what it looks like to live in response to the good news of the gospel, we're becoming good news people, That's people who lay down our lives, we change our thinking, we put ourselves before God, we seek to discern his will, and then God places us within particular bodies, parts of his body. Within those, we want to seek to know how he would have us to serve. We want to have an openness, and we want to discern how he would have us serve. Because that's truly the good life, that's what we were created for. See, it's not about the fulfillment of the individual. It turns out the way God has created us is that we were created to humbly serve with other people and to serve other people, and not just to focus on ourselves. And so as I give you this invitation, it's not because we got slots to fill. I believe God will provide what we need to do the work that he's called us to do. It's about you and your spiritual life and vitality and about you in this season of life serving the Lord in a meaningful way And the joy that you will find as you serve him passionately, as you give yourself for the sake of the body, for the sake of the mission of Christ, you will find an incredible joy. You'll find a peace. You'll find a contentment. You'll find out that you're becoming the person that God created you to be. So let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who served us first. You gave to us. You gave us your best. And you created us to be people who give, who give of ourselves, who give of the life and vitality that you give to us. We give that away to others. As you have loved us, we love others. We love others. As you have served us, we serve others. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning in the room. I pray for those watching online. I pray for those who may hear or watch this message at another time. I pray for each and every person that first of all, they would know you, that they would have a relationship with you. And God, secondly, I pray for them that they would come to know the way that you have called them to serve right now. You would reveal that to them and you would re-energize them in the ways that they're currently serving. And God, I pray that as they figure that thing out, and they serve you, you would give them an incredible joy and passion and enthusiasm, God, that would fill them up. Lord, we do all these things because we love you and we worship you and we want to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.